O heavenly King, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. O Lord, show us the light of thy countenance and we shall be made whole. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I mentioned again last week that continue. we need to continue allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate our lives as to those various areas where we are redirecting the suffering that's within us or the sense of lack that's longing for fulfillment within us toward anything other than God. Because that's a clear indication by what we're doing with our time. It helps us see where we're not attending to the very one who would heal us, restore us, fill us, and make us whole. I want to just start off just for a few minutes again, just giving an opportunity. Has anyone had any thoughts of, of that illumination that God has shown you about your life that would be helpful to others? Last time, a number of folks shared, and it really helped me see some things in my life, and others said the same thing. Any, anything there that you saw over the course of this last week? if we took some time to investigate and allow Christ to show us before we get going. Yes. I will say with my husband, who kind of has an interest in the monasticism yeah. and just um, learning about the monastic life and that there's power in what they do. And, uh, uh, otherwise, why would the enemy always be trying to bring them down and focus so much on them, just like when Jesus was in the desert. Mm -hmm. there's, so, there's power in that to create a bridge mm -hmm. between the spiritual and the mm -hmm. physical world, and there's power there. And it makes me think, I want to go closer to that. Right. And so, um, that's yeah, and what we're after... There, church has always said there are two paths, two paths to salvation, monasticism, and what we experience in the parish life, but the paths are no different in what brings us to our salvation, and that is the experience of God by all those prescriptions therein. You follow me? And so the truth that you're saying is this, and I'm glad you said this, because we need to, if there's something we need to awaken to and be aware of, it's that... As we're awakened to Christ and we begin to experience him more in the moments of our life, you can absolutely bet your enemy is going to ramp up. But here's, you got to see the parallel. That brings me no fear whatsoever. Because if the experience of God is increasing in my life, then the experience of victory over Satan will increase in my life no matter what he does. You see? And it's definitely indication of that which is good, and that path that is right, you're locking on to something there. That's good. Thank you. Very good. Any other thoughts? Karen? I've always, I've always had a little bit of sloppiness with getting to evening prayer. You know, morning prayer is real structured, but not really, it's not, I mean, it's really structured, but it's, it's, it's there, you know? Yeah. Evening prayer is sort of dead sometimes. So I've never had much TV in my house anyway. Mm -hmm. And so 
Tony and I didn't watch it anymore. He was alive too much. Um, I recently just cut my TV off, you know. Yeah. I dropped the thing. The guy said to me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for news? <laughs> oh, I don't care. I'll read the good stuff. I'll read the good news, right? Sure. And, you know, I have found myself going, oh, it's time to go do the evening prayers. Yeah. It's time to go do it. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. I mean, I was, I was shocked when I actually said out loud one time, it's time to do that. You know, Karen, that's why That's why I, I, I'm constantly telling people and reminding myself even when I get a little wobbly in the disciplines, or if somebody particularly is trying to start and engage them that, look, okay, all the disciplines are there. If you're really locking on to half of them, I'm not worried at all about it because if you lock on to half of them and you're walking in them, you will grow to a desire to, that that happens in the evening or the morning, depending on your, if you're an evening or morning person naturally. The experience of God builds in us the desire for more of the experience of God. So that's, that's yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Yes, Father. Your sermon today made me think, think about this. We, we tend to view us as here and God is out there. And somehow in all of this, we're getting a glimpse of him. But in fact, well, that's true. But in fact, as we open ourselves to him, he begins to fill us. So when we don't have that filling, we have that yearning. And it's it's a hunger to eat at us because something tells us that it ought to be different. And this is why also one can be as religious as one wants to be and still be hungry because he's not opening himself to God, he's shutting him out. And so I mean, if we look at the monastics and we think, oh, these wonderful people, and they'll tell you <laughs> that they're, they're sinners. Uh, the thing about them is that they open themselves to God and what we see in them is God present. And that changes everything. I mean, it just it transforms. So what I saw in the sermon today was, was don't think of this as what, what he said as, as this is the right thing that God wants us to understand. Look at it, well, everything Father Mark said today, look at it from God's perspective. What if you were standing in the place of God looking out, explaining all of this? Think about how that changes everything. This is the way God wants each of us to be. We were made for this. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. All's change changed utterly. Yeah. But see, that's it. It's the experience of God in those moments that grants us his perspective on everything. And Jesus didn't say, remember, what did we say in the Mass? He didn't say he'd give us peace. He says it gives us his peace, which is his, comes from his disposition to all things. You know? So thank you. Very good. All right. Okay, Let, let's move on. But I do encourage you always, and I think you're going to get a little bit more to investigate, well, more specifically today as we talk about time itself. Um, last week, we barely scraped the surface of just introducing the idea of the importance of time. And the question on the table today that we're going to look at is, what is the Christian view of time? Because I guarantee you, just like even when I was preparing for this, even, in looking at how Christ has revealed to his church his view of time, there is something in us that we're going to look and say, man, my thoughts need to change about time itself. I don't see time 
as God sees time and has gifted time to us for our experience of him and our salvation. And last week, one of the things we spoke about is that we wanted to tackle, at least begin to tackle some of the deceptions that have entered into the fabric of our being and our minds and our spirits regarding how we address time. How do we see time falsely by our enemy's deceptions? And these deceptions, these false representations of the value of time as God sees it is the way that Satan is constantly working in our lives to accomplish that which he has been after since creation itself. And what's he been after? To separate us from the experience of the Lord our God. You want to look at everything your enemy is after, and you can boil it down to that very thing, that whatever he's doing, he's working to separate us from the experience of God. And one of his, some of his greatest deceptions that separate us from the experience of God have everything to do with how we live in because of our understanding of time itself. You know, two of the deceptions and a broad stroke that we painted last week, you'll remember these, that Satan has somehow sown in us this undercurrent within us that constantly believes that we're never going to run out of time. There's always another minute. There's always another day. There's always another year. There's always another liturgical season. There's always another time of confession. There's always another Eucharist. There's always another opportunity to be in fellowship with God. These are the things that he sows into us. When I asked everybody last week, what is the result of that deception? It's, it's like that beautiful bomb of truth went off. Well, what's the result of people thinking they always have more time? Slothfulness. The lack of experience of God, the lack of importance of the moment with God, procrastination, laziness, spiritual laziness, which produces the spiritual slumber we're seeking to come out of by the illumination of Christ. And the second deception we looked at is this, the deception that you should view time as a very grim reality, in fact, a destructive, destructive reality. You remember I read last week, Dr. Rokas, in Time and Despondency, she summed up the philosopher Plato's take on this, which was common to non-Christian philosophers and has been come, become prevalent in many of us when she summed this up this way, time is a grim reality. Therefore, eternity must be different than time. Eternity must be completely devoid of time because time is so inferior to, infer to eternity because all it does is cause our decay, make room for suffering, and ultimately destroy us or kill us. And what does that deception lend us, lend us to in our lives? If time is something that hideous and that destructive to us in this world, well, if time's going to kill us, then what should we do with time? Kill it. You ever heard that phrase, what are you doing, killing time? Right? We, we really are. If we look at our lives, if we examine our lives, we do a lot of things to kill time. What we don't understand is that we're, when we're killing time, we're destroying a part of ourselves. When we're killing time, we're taking away the very opportunity for Christ our God to manifest himself in the moment we just destroyed to us. That we might have experienced him. That we might have had a profound illumination in our lives by the revelation he wants to give to each and every one of us. You see, those two deceits, whether you've always got time 
or time is hideous and ugly, do everything you can to not look at it correctly. Both of those things, as you can see, what do they do? They remove the opportunity for God to be in the moment of time as a gift to us. Because that's how he sees it. So now let's move from some of those false views. We want to focus today, at least at the beginning, on the Christian view of time that God has illuminated through his church. Let's aim on the truth about time. Time as God, again, like Father Rooney said, time as God perceives time. See it from his perspective. Time as God is purposefully and mercifully active within it. You remember from last week also, Dr. Rocha states, because this line from the Akathist prayer service of Thanksgiving perfectly describes how God sees time and what he wants to do with time. In that Akathist prayer service of Thanksgiving, glory to thee, who cures affliction and our emptiness with the healing flow of time. How does God see time? He created it. Understand that. He created time, even in paradise, which we'll look at in a few moments. He created time so that time could be a conduit where mankind can experience him in moments and have their suffering relieved, their souls healed, and have that whatever is lacking in them filled with the very gaps that only God can fill in the moments of time as he has ordered it. I mean, think about that just for a moment. What does it teach us God does in time? Great healing works as he spends time with us. And again, where we lack because of the fall, where we were so far differentiated from our creator and the lover of our souls, what does he do in time? He mends, he fills, and makes us more like him, which is our truly created person. But it happens in moments of time. That's how important time is. And it's only because of those truths that Metropolitan Anthony Bloom could write what he wrote in Beginning to Pray that I shared with you in the first week. You learn to master time. And you will be able, whatever you do in the stress, in the storm, in tragedy, or simply in the confusion in which we continuously live, to be still, immovable in the present moment, face to face with the Lord. Now that statement, it begs a question. It presents a great question. What is it to master time? What does it mean to master time? I'm going to tell you, at least at its foundation, mastering time for the Christian is this. A Christian who's mastering time will have a growth in greater attention to God in the moments of his or her life, a greater awareness of the presence of God all throughout the days, and at points throughout the day, and greater fellowship more and more growing throughout each day in the moments of our lives. That's what happens when a Christian sees time rightly and, and, and awaken, or now what's the word I'm looking for? Their heart becomes more open to the awareness of how close God is with them in the very moments of time. Okay? And how has God laid a path for you and I? How has he laid a path for us to grow more in the awareness that he is Emmanuel? 
And what does his name Emmanuel mean? Yeah. He has laid a path for us to grow in the awareness that he truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to talk about two ways today. And the first one is this. And that's learning that for every Christian baptized and filled with God's Holy Spirit, time is experienced in both Kronos time and Kairos time. Okay? Now, I have always known the difference between these two because I've had it taught to me for a long time. But the more and more, I got to tell you, the ideas of Kronos and Kairos time, the depth of them, I get it and I don't get it and I'm constantly growing into it. I think we all need to. But learning, this is one of the paths, is to understand how God utilizes both Kronos time and Kairos time for our salvation to grant us the experience of Him. And we're going to define both of those in a few short minutes. But before we do, we need to first see time in relationship to eternity. Remember how those non-Christian philosophers says time and eternity, they must be totally different. Time is far inferior to eternity because of all the suffering within us. So we need to take a look at that. By the way, the only reason that those philosophers and, and many saw time as inferior as what they considered to be eternity, the only reason they did is because they experienced suffering in this life, suffering that happens in this fallen world and in their existence, and in their, and their suffering or they're seeing the suffering of others, even the suffering of the world or the decay of the creation around them, all that suffering ended up defining their view of time. My friends, that is a very dangerous thing that we need to kind of awaken to and become more aware that our suffering in this life can skew a lot of the ways that we see things. It skews the way we see God himself. But our sufferings in this life even skew the way that we see time. What an incredible misstep when this happens. That when we suffer, time is an enemy. But on the mountaintop experiences, time's a friend all of a sudden. You see, all of us have experienced that to varying degrees. And Satan loves to take your suffering and my suffering in this life and make it useful to distance us from God by skewing our view of the wonder and the beauty and the powerful impact that the moments of time with God in them can have into our lives. God, on the other hand, does something different with suffering. God takes suffering which he never desired, which he never intended for this world to experience or any of us in it, and he takes suffering, and he even makes the most negative circumstance an opportunity for the most grand experience of him. That's what God does with suffering. And therefore, suffering is transformed by him in the moments of our life to something that is so useful for our salvation. You and I know this. When we are in suffering, and every one of us is experienced to different degrees, when we are suffering, our humanity comes to the surface quickly. It's almost as if suffering shifts the tectonic, the tectonic plates in our lives, right? And all of a sudden we have this volcano, this volcano up, quite frankly, of that which really needs healing. And God makes use of that in the moments of our lives to bring healing and restoration. 
through us. But the world is with these philosophers sees time as greatly inferior to eternity. The Christian view of time couldn't be more polar opposite as God has revealed it to us and his purposes and his intentions regarding time itself. In fact, time's not inferior at all to eternity of the Christian. The reality is this, that from our baptism forward, time and eternity flow together for the Christian as one endless reality. We need to see that. Time doesn't stop. Time doesn't stop when our bodies fail us and they fall asleep. If you believe that, think about this. If we were to believe that, we deny the resurrection. We deny our ability to be eternal in Christ. That's a very dangerous proposition. Okay? For the Christian time and eternity. In fact, you've heard me say this before. I use the phrase that we live in the eternal now. The eternal now. I've been in eternity since my baptism. And we need to see it that way. I want to read to you from a statement from Dr. Rokas in Time and Despondency about this. She says, in the Orthodox faith, time has never been regarded as a cold or distant force, but as a direct extension of eternity that serves to reveal the love of God through his son. To put it another way, time is the dimensional fabric that allows relationship and the action of God on our behalf to happen. How many of you know that electricity requires a conduit? Right? Electricity requires some type of conduit for it to be expressed, to manifest itself, and be a blessing or a curse, but to be a blessing to to anyone. We've got to think of time this way, because this is what the fathers teach us, and this is what has been revealed to the church that time is the very conduit by which God expresses himself, manifests himself, and from that manifestation, we come to behold him and know him and become like him. Time is beautiful. Time is necessary. God gives it. Let me rephrase that. Time is only useful if God is in it, and if we are aware of that and encountering that. So think of time as that conduit. Time's the playground, if you will, on which we encounter and are impacted by a living relationship with him. So all at once, God is eternity, and at the very same time, he is so perfectly, intricately involved in the moments of our time, everywhere, always. And I'll go a little further with this regarding the Christian understanding of the oneness of eternity and moments in time, that eternal now I've been talking about. One way that the church fathers saw this is encompassed and encapsulated by this statement. In eternity, the fullness of God is always manifest and always clear and always full. Where in time, We encounter and experience the actions of God on behalf of mankind that flow from his eternal divine nature. God is eternity, but he acts in time where we can experience him. In the book, Time and Despondency, Dr. Rokas rightly draws from the Cappadocian Fathers when she gives this example, and I think this is absolutely precious and perfect in a description. 
Think of a husband who truly loves his wife. Now, within his being, he really does love his wife. But for the husband within himself to love his wife, while it's beautiful, while it's right, and while it's good, it's not complete yet. Loving within the being is not the completion of love. It's when love reaches out to act for the blessing and benefit of another that love is complete. You see? So for the love within that husband to manifest or communicate that love to the wife, he must act on her behalf in time. For example, in a moment in time, a hug. For a moment in time, a kiss. In a moment in time, bring her flowers. In a moment in time, to take a chore that she would normally do around the house and do it just so that she wouldn't have to. You see it? The husband in his being is love. But that love has to have the conduit of time to manifest itself for the experience of the other person for love to be complete. Does that make sense? What might happen if we thought that the moments in our day were opportunities for a kiss from God? For God to manifest his love. For God to manifest who he is for us to spend time with us in the moment and the moments of our lives. God is be God being always in eternal, but expressing who he is in action. Time is just that beautiful. My friends, if you think about this, if that's the reality and the purpose of time, what in the world are we doing with our time? And I'm not saying this. I'm not putting this out there as a source of shame, but right question. If the moments in our lives are that most grand opportunity to literally encounter the living God, every last one of them, what are we doing with that gift of time? It's a very important question that we need to see. Because the more that the truth the church Christ has expressed through his church about time becomes a reality in our lives, the more we see time like God sees the gift of time. And when that happens, the more rapidly what we choose to do with time and in time will be transformed drastically, drastically. And so will our experience in time because God is with us in the fabric of time. I want to make something very clear. God knows we work. God knows we have duties. God knows we have family chores. It's not that we are sitting on the floor before the icons 24 hours a day and all the minutes of those days to constitute experiencing God in the context of time. Again, I go back to that beautiful book by Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God. The man experienced the profound nature of God when he was cleaning dirty pots and pans at the monastery. It's about how we keep our hearts open to the presence of God that doesn't leave us when we're doing such mundane things so that we can experience him in those moments. You know, this idea of time and eternity being one and together, we really shouldn't miss the fact that in paradise, there was time. In the creation of all things, there was time. What are some of the things that God created in creation that constituted time? 
sun and moon, and they rotated in an order. Then what did he call it? Day and night. Time was established before the fall. Time is not a result of the fall. Order and relationship in moments was had in the Garden of Eden. It's just that that union was never intended to be separated. You see? And this is what we're talking about, of the blessedness of time that we've been brought back to having been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you this about that aspect of creation. The last layer of creation was unfurled when God, resting from his labors, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. This final day of creation is a proxy not just for all subsequent Sabbaths, but for all time on earth. The way it goes forth yet returns always to experience rest in the peace of eternity by the presence of God. Each new development of creation brought about more life and beauty than before, making God's love more manifest and capable of being encountered. I love that image, that as you see creation unfold in Genesis, that every layer of a new creation is a greater opportunity for God to be manifest and experienced by the ones he set would set in that creation. And this incredible, beautiful, eternal unfolding is precisely what God is longing to do in our lives on a daily basis. That as our days turn on and the sun and the moon go round and round in the moments of our day, that by that very creation and Christ making, by the incarnation, Christ making himself manifest in those moments, more and more we gain and can gain that experience of God in our lives. And with that set in place, those ideas, we can now better understand the Christian view of time, which consists of both Kronos time and Kairos time. So let's look at both of those. Now, Kronos is very easy. Kronos time is what we we're just talking about day and night, the tick of the clock, the swing of the pendulum, the moments of the day, the order in which we normally are used to living. It's where we get the term chronological, right? Chronological time. We're living it. We know what that experience is like. What's Kairos time? It is the joining of what is in eternity to the now. It's when God manifests himself in the moments of our lives, interruptions in time when God acts on our behalf, reveals himself to us because we've come to him, because we're spending time in fellowship with him. That's what Kairos time is. It's also time in which we act from this time into eternity. You hear what I just said? That we act in the confines of time in eternity. What would be a good example of that? Anybody come up with one? Where we act in time, but also eternal. Prayer. Prayer. And particularly prayer in the liturgy, when heaven and earth are joined together, when all of God's people now, before, and forever, join before the throne of God as the priesthood of all believers, giving praise and lifting the whole world to God. You see, we stand in time, but we stand in eternity. It's another example of Kairos time. You might think of Kairos time, to put it more simply, back to that relational, is when God gives us a hug or a kiss, steps into the moment, 
entangles himself, so to speak, in the moment for us to experience him. Metropolitan Callisto Ware. He says this. He said, Kairos is characterized not by predetermined swings of the pendulum, but by unpredictable yet decisive moments of opportunity. Moments of disclosure filled with meaning when clock time stands still, but when eternity breaks in. He said, Kairos moments remind us that the God of the Bible is not morally opposed to time, but in fact is intimately and actively working in and through it to communicate his love to each one of us. Say louder. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a story from Genesis 28 that shows Kronos time and Kairos time, even in the Old Testament. Okay. I want to share that with you. Did you have something? I'm sorry. Oh, Father, say that again. They didn't hear you. I said that in the, in the Nicene Creed, the Pontius Pilate is very, uh, that gives a historical setting, time frame for that event, the events of the incarnation, particularly the passion of Christ. So it puts it within time, it's the chronological time. So it's a setting of chronological time in which God's action of eternity takes place. So mm. We could take the reign of Pontius Pilate historically. Yeah. Very good. Very good. In Genesis chapter 28, this is a story that's very familiar to us, but I don't know if we've ever seen it as recognizing Kronos and Kairos time happening at the same time in time. Okay. It's the story of Jacob's ladder. In Jacob's ladder, after a long day of traveling, Jacob. I'd say he pulls up a pillow, but he doesn't. He pulls up a rock, and he puts his head on, and he goes to sleep, very wearied from his travels. And Jacob is giving that, that unbelievable vision of the ladder that is right there by him on earth, going all the way into heaven, joining the two, and he sees the angels ascending and descending constantly. He sees paradise. He sees earth. He sees the in-between, and they're one. Okay. This is the vision that he was given. And then God speaks to him. He speaks to Jacob from that vision saying, Jacob, my promise to you is that your descendants will be greater than the dust of the earth. And he promises Jacob saying, Jacob, I am with you and will keep you whatever you go. You want to talk about the consistency of God? What did Jesus say when he ascended? I will be with you always. He's saying this to Jacob. These are the words he's hearing. This is the vision that he's seeing. And when he wakes up, we hear these beautiful words. If there's anything that I'm praying for all of us, is that on a daily basis, we will mouth these words. Jacob's response to the vision and the voice of God is, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. You see? How many days are we going about our lives 
Are we able to say, surely the Lord is in this place? I didn't know it. He just stepped in, gave me a hug. He just stepped in, showed this to me. He just stepped in because my heart's open to him. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. That's Kairos time. Kairos time and, and Kronos time at the same time. He was truly traveling. He was truly weary. Just like he said about Pontius Pilate, there was a marked time in Jacob's life that this was going on. But all of a sudden, eternity broke in and God manifested himself. And Jacob was overwhelmed. That's what I pray that we will grow to say, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Exactly. Yes. We're the ones who are shut down. Yes. So all this is happening around us. I mean, this, how easy it is to go over there and do liturgy. This beauty of the Lord and what's happening to us. Absolutely. And we've been privileged to be part of this. Says, do you believe in the supernatural? We better say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Miracles are normal, not, not supernatural. Miracles yeah. are normal. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, People talk, you know, people talk supernatural as if it's super unnatural. Yeah. We believe in the supernatural. It's the most natural thing that God is in time and with us. Right? The lack of it is what never was intended. It's the most unnatural thing. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Which brings us, nice segue. It brings us, I said that, how, how do, what's the path? to us getting back to the experience of God in, in his purpose time and the gift of time. One is understanding that Kairos and Kronos time and opening our hearts to that in our lives. But there is another way um, that goes along with it. Not, a di- not one that's not one or the other, it's both. Experiencing God in time is experienced by the grace of God through Christian remembrance. Through Christian remembrance. What does that real word remembrance mean? Please remember this. That wasn't even meant to be a joke, but we'll take it, right? Remembrance is this. When Christ takes something that he fulfilled in himself as part of his finished work on our behalf, when Christ takes something he fulfilled by his voluntary actions on our behalf over 2,000 years ago and manifests that very act and reality in this present moment for us to experience. That's Christian remembrance. Christian remembrance is not going through the recesses of our mind, for example, with Eucharist. Christian remembrance is not going back. It's not just some little memory. How can you have that memory? You weren't there. And all you that saw the passion, that doesn't count. You were not present. You didn't experience it. So there's nothing for you to remember but a story. That is not Christian remembrance. And when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that's that's not what the word meant. He was using a very specific word where he takes something from the past and it invades the now for us to be able to experience. What are some examples of Christian remembrance that we know about? Fairly easy. Okay, Eucharist. So. How about the whole liturgical calendar? You're on to something there. So the sacrament, of the bread and the wine, Christ takes it. And every time he blesses it, he manifests the entirety of what he did for us on the cross. 
we experience in that moment if our hearts are open. If our hearts aren't open, you might just experience bread and wine. But if our hearts are open, we experience the remission of our sins from the blood that flowed. We experience the healing of our bodies from the body that was broken. See? We experience the power of what Christ did on the cross in that moment. That's remembrance. The liturgical cycle is remembrance. It, start, it begins and ends with the incarnation and the pouring out of his Holy Spirit and how to live because of everything Jesus did. But through that calendar, every year, it is God stepping into moments to avail himself for us to experience him in those ways. But I want to give you one more example. Please. Yep. Absolutely. It's interesting that the Eastern Rite, which is closer to the to to Palestine mm -hmm. uh, and the Middle East, uh, also yeah. doesn't have the word remembrance in their liturgy. The Western Rite, farther away, does. Yeah, it's interesting. That is right. But I mean, it doesn't make any difference. Either way, this concept is either understood or it's has to be explained in liturgy so that we do understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. That's very good. How many of you ever think about making the sign of the cross as remembrance? I mean, we do it a lot. At least we do it in church. I hope you do it a lot when you're outside of church. I, I want to, you talk about taking the power and the victory of something that happened there that Christ did on our behalf and manifesting it in the moment. Listen to St. Cyril of Jerusalem on making the sign of the cross. This was written in the mid-300s. Let us not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Let the cross as our seal be boldly made with our fingers. And on all occasions, over the bread we eat, over the cups we drink, in our comings in and our going out before sleep, on lying down and rising up, when we're on the way and when we are still, it is a powerful safeguard. It is without price, for the sake of the poor, without toil, because of the sick. For it is a grace from God, a badge of the faithful, and a terror to devils. For he displayed them openly, leading them away in triumph by force of it. For when they see the sign of the cross, they are reminded of the crucified. That's when you make the sign of the cross. Not when I make it over you, it does it to them. But when you are out there and you are struggling in your temptations, you are struggling in your humanity. You're struggling with the whispers of the demonic going into your thought life. To make the sign of the cross, it's just a mustard seed of faith, brings terror to the ones that are putting those thoughts in your mind. You see how God, 
eternal being, love, power, divine, steps into the moments of the Christian life to manifest all that he is. And that is because of his infinite love for us and wanting us to know that love very intimately in the days of our life. Now, we've talked about time, and we're going to close at that point, but here's what I'm hoping. If you're like me, the more you consider the Christian view of time, the more that you understand how you don't see time that way. Which means that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, even over time. My prayer for you is that we go from here, be very mindful of what we're doing in the moment. Ask yourself, are these moments where I'm allowing, no matter what you're doing, you could have free time, you could be the busiest person in the world doing things that God knows you have to do. But ask yourself, is my heart open to the divine in the moments of the busyness and the quiet? And then we'll begin to experience God in the greatly valued blessing that time is. Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.